All right, how about that police sketch software? That was something fantastic. I love when they were resizing the eyeballs. It's probably my favorite part. Um, he, they were constructing the face, guy, chill, okay? There you go. All right, so, <clears throat> was that applause? Thank you. All right, um, so tonight we're going to cover a lot of different things, a lot of different things, okay? And I made this PowerPoint really late last night, so I don't remember what's on it. Oh, now I remember what was. All right. <laughs> I don't know why this is here. Okay, so maybe Jesus uh, was just a prophet, okay? So one of the arguments that we're, we're going to go through a bunch of arguments today, and then we're just going to debunk them all, okay? One of the arguments is Jesus was just another prophet. He wasn't God, Okay. And we just have it wrong. Well, here's something that I thought was incredibly interesting. So in the Old Testament, we have God leading people out of Israel. And then Israel is broken up into what? Does anybody know what I'm thinking? How many tribes? Twelve. Right. How many disciples did Jesus choose? Twelve. Twelve. Okay. And as Jesus as the head of twelve disciples, it's symbolic with God as the head of 12 tribes of Israel. If Jesus was coming just to be another prophet, he would have chose 11 people to go with him, and he would represent one of the tribes. Interesting. I thought that was like, kind of blew my mind. Okay. Uh, did Jesus think that he was just a prophet? No. So, y'all may not know this, but... What is the Hebrew word in the Old Testament for God? Yahweh. Right. What is significant about that word? It's like it's breathing. Yes. It's supposed to be an unpronounceable word. And so they would shy away from ever saying his name. So instead of saying that, they would say things like, uh, the Holy One, blessed be he. Okay. Kind of like weird roundabout ways. But when Jesus came, how did he refer to God? Yes, he called him Abba, which means father. And so the question that comes from that is what kind of a person changes our relationship with God from we're not going to say his name to I'm going to call him father? Not a prophet, probably his son. And then what kind of person can initiate a new covenant? Because that's what he said. He said, I'm coming to get rid of the old covenant and start a new one. You can't do that unless... Yeah, you're, you're on the level, you have the authority, you represent that party, okay? So, I think it's pretty clear that he wasn't just a prophet. So maybe Je Jesus didn't actually claim to be God. We went into a little bit of this detail last week where the Jesus seminar says, you know, Jesus never claimed to be God, the disciples just wrote that in later, okay? Well, um... One question we have to ask is, how does that represent Jesus' relationship with Rome, right? Rome are the people who actually crucified Jesus, and what did they have nailed above his head? Like mocking, like, yeah, they, 
yeah, why don't you get yourself down? They had a sign that said, um, here's the king of the Jews. Why would they call him the king of the Jews if he never claimed to be? Exactly. So that's the first thing. Second, he came and he forgave sins. Okay. That's a huge deal because sin is against who? God. God. And you can only forgive things that are done against you, right? If Mackenzie slaps Adam in the face and I go, it's okay, Adam, I got this. Adam forgives you, right? Adam's like, uh, no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> she just hit me in the face. So that's the same thing that's happening. Jesus is saying, hey, uh, your sins are forgiven. And people got real mad when he did that. They were like, who's this guy saying your sins are forgiven? Who can, who can say that? And so by the very claim in the Bible that he said your sins are forgiven, he's claiming to be God. And then finally, oh yeah, oh yeah, I got some of these. Uh-huh, yep, yep, oh yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Look at this. Look at all these bullet points. You're welcome. All right. So the oldest, I thought this was fascinating, the oldest Christian sermon, the oldest account of a Christian martyr, the oldest pagan report, that means non-Christian report, of the church, and the oldest liturgical prayer all refer to Jesus as God. That means these are the first instances of these things, and if Jesus never claimed to be God, you would think that they would show up later and not immediately. But these things showed up immediately. Okay, so if he, if he never claimed to be God, these people would be like, hey, wait a minute, he didn't actually say that. But he did. All right, so if we're going to talk about the attributes of God, which we've talked about, oh gosh, I guess it was two years ago now. Okay, did Jesus fit the characteristics of God that we know to be true? Omniscience, what does that mean? Yes. Did he claim to be all-knowing? Was he all-knowing? Well, yes. In John 16, 30, he says, now we can see that you know all things. Because he did. All right. Omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. So in Matthew 28, 20, it said, surely I am with you always. Okay. Kind of weird if you think about it. But that means he's always with us. He goes everywhere we go omnipotence. What does that mean? Yeah. So all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's making the claim that I am all powerful. Okay. Next. Is he eternal like God? John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was God and the word was with God. The word here capitalized symbol symbolizes Jesus. Okay. Ow. And then finally, Immutability. That's a hard one. What does that mean? What? No. He can't talk? No. Yeah. Immutability means never changing. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he does not change. Yes. Was it possible? Uh, I'm going to say yes because he died. He was both fully God and fully man. Almost. Almost. Okay. 
Could Jesus have artificially fulfilled Old Testament prophecies? Okay, the video kind of hit on this and bounced away really quick, but I want to make sure that you guys like fully understand this point. So we're going to set up camp here for a little bit. No, that's Jesus breakdancing. He said the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. See? All right. What are all these points? Okay. So, like they said in the video, there are 44 to 48 major prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. I think I gave you 44 on pages 3 and 4, just so you can look at them yourself. Okay? The, the thing that is very vital for you to remember. Last week we talked about the text of the Bible. All of these prophecies were written, and in a canon of Hebrew Scripture, hundreds of years before Jesus came. So it's not like these texts were changed after Jesus came. Okay, But you can say, well, what if Jesus tried to fulfill some of these prophecies? Well, he could have done that, but there are a bunch of prophecies that he could not have tried to fulfill. Like, uh, how could he control the fact that the Sanhedrin offered Judas 30 pieces of silver outside of his control? How could he arrange for his ancestry or the place of his birth or the method of his execution or that the soldiers gambled over his clothing or that his legs would not be broken? How could he arrange to perform miracles in front of skeptics? How could he arrange for his resurrection? I like this one. How could he arrange to be born when he was? I was like, come again for big fudge. Okay. It says, when you interpret Daniel 9, 24 to 26, it says that the Messiah would appear a certain length of time after King, what a, what, Okay, yeah, him. Okay. Yeah, so he said that they would rebuild the walls, and that puts the anticipated appearance of the Messiah exactly at the time that Jesus was born. So, we're going to play... What are the odds? Okay? Y'all are not going to like these. The odds of being killed in a car. 100%. What do you think the odds are that you are going to die in a car crash? One, like, I'm saying like, like in your lifetime. One in ten. One in ten? That's very low. One in ten is like. Five in ten. Okay. Oh, wait, I forgot I did it like this. All right, die in a car crash. One in 103. Notice there's a blank space. Feel free to write these answers. Mackenzie, you were closest. You get some chocolate. All right, next. What are the odds that you would be born with extra fingers or toes? It is one in 500. You both get it. Okay. Hey, there are plenty. Yes, Austin Perryman was born with extra toes. All right. What are the odds that you'll get struck by lightning? One in a thousand. All right, one in three thousand. Y'all, y'all only need to scream once. 
All right. What are the odds that you will die from constipation? We're going up. One in 2.2 million. Okay. Yeah, that's, you know, probably me, if we're going to be honest. All right, what are your chances of being killed by a cow? One in 500 million. One in 10. One in 10. One in 10. I like those. No. It's one in 2.5 million. So guys, remember, everything from this point on, you're more likely to get killed by a cow than to have one of these things happen to you, just so you know. The U.S. national debt. All right. Sure. Yes, I'm sure. I spent so much time doing this this week, I was like really, I got into a, like a, a hole. <laughs> I just looked up odds. It's one in five million. So you are twice as likely to be killed by a cow than die in a plane crash. I'll let you look that up on your own. Does that equate? Does that like? Is that like intertwined with like All right. How likely are you to be killed by a coconut? Two hundred fifty million. No. You're still so far off. All right, guys. Guess what? We've just now got to the first lottery winner. Okay, you're more likely to be killed by a cow and killed by a coconut than win the lottery. One in two hundred ninety-two million. Guys, this is winning the Powerball lottery. So that okay. Means if you buy that many tickets, you know, I've never been killed by a cow. You're more likely to die in a car crash on the way to buy a lottery ticket than to win the lottery. All right. So that was the Powerball, but what are the answers, chances? It's 302 million. All right, so yeah, there are two different mega lottery jackpots, okay? They both have different odds. That comes back later. All right, so this is the. Wait, this is the estimated world population from the beginning of evolutionary time. So they're saying evolution is real. Every person that's ever lived, there have always been. To this day, this many people. 1 billion. What? 1? 1 billion, Adam? There's 7. I mean, 1 trillion. Everyone added together. 100 billion. The estimate is that there have been 100 billion people alive. Look, look, this is very this is a very important statistical point. All right, how much money? All right, 
Who is the richest man Jeff on Bezos. earth? It is Jeff Bezos. He owns Amazon. All right, Jeff Bezos owns Amazon. What is his net worth? Yes, $108 billion. All right, we're taking a massive jump. So that's the richest man in the U.S. What is the United States national debt? Obama, $22.7 trillion. That's not even close. I mean, that's if you take the richest man on earth's money, you don't even make a dent in that. But no, let's see how high we can get into China. All right. What are the chances that you will have a perfect March Madness bracket? All right, sh- it is one in 9.223 quadrillion. That's the answer. Yeah. No, no, that's just picking all the games correctly. All right, so remember we talked about the Powerball lottery and the Mega Millions, but what are the odds that you would win both in your lifetime? That's one in 88 quadrillion. So I just got to buy 88 quadrillion tickets. So easy. That's like, that's like. All right. So, so up to this point, we've only talked about quadrillion. So scientific notation is how many zeros? Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, and then you count that other one, fifteen, sixteen. So this is one times ten, or eight times ten to the sixteenth power. Okay, so that's one times ten to the or eight times ten to the sixteen. The odds, the odds that Jesus fulfilled all forty-four prophecies, forty-eight are are one times ten to the one fifty-six. Okay, so here's what y'all are going to do. I left you all that space. So now y'all are going to write one and then write 156 zeros after that one. Okay. That's why you have all that space. How many zeros? 156. No, one times 10 to the 156. Okay. Now the yes. Yes. This is what are the odds that anyone would fulfill forty-eight prophecies of the Messiah? Now the reason that this is statistically very, very important, and the reason I want you guys to write all one hundred and fifty-six zeros, is because what is the number of people that have lived on Earth? Even the most conservative estimates. It's 100 billion, okay? So if there have only been 100 billion people, but 
these are the odds that one of those people would fulfill all of these prophecies, the odds are astronomically small that somebody would do it or that Jesus did it, right? That's where we have to come from where we said, all right, last week we talked about how the texts were preserved, and now this week we're talking about the fact that it's statistically impossible that Jesus would fulfill these things. And not only did he fulfill these things, but he said, I am God, I've come to set a new relationship with you and God, and I'm going to forgive your sins. Okay? If Jesus came and claimed to be God, and these are the odds that it was just a coincidence, I think we need to take it seriously. Okay? So that's where we're going to start with part two. How many of you have ever heard of Rhett and Link? Yeah. You've heard of Rhett and Link? They're on YouTube. Yeah, the morning Yeah, Good Mythical Morning. Hello, Dad. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to watch a clip of a Rhett and Link interview now, okay? This is very important. I want y'all to, like, put on your listening ears. Oh, yeah. We'll talk about it a little more. They were not missionaries, but Rhett and Link went to NC State University where they worked on crew staff. That's going to come back later. Okay, so let's watch this, and then... And then people pick, pick it apart like it's separate from you. When you said, you said a moment ago there were regrets with something, what were you saying? Um, what did I say? Of being judgmental. Of being... You know, and I think being on the receiving end, I think we were on the giving end for a long time of just being able to put people in a in in a box. Well, I labeled it specifically. Specifically, it was hugging back and actually mean it. But there was, I was I had been the belief that I was ingrained with didn't allow me to. Uh, to sincerely hug the guy. And I was, it was upsetting. Yeah, that must have been really hard. Okay. So, interesting. All right. So, the... Are they arguing for it? Well, the thing is... Yeah, so they recently came out and said, you know what, we're agnostic. We don't believe Christianity anymore, and here's why. And they did a four-part podcast... And each of them are like two hours long or something, where they just like, they call deconstruct their faith and why they don't believe it anymore. Okay. And so here's the first thing that I want you guys to understand. They were on staff at crew at NC State leading Bible studies when they were having these thoughts. Okay. You guys need to know when you go out into the world, even Christians you meet, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. You need to know the truth and be able to hear what somebody is teaching you and know if that's the truth of the Bible or not. Because they're leading Bible, well, not anymore. They were leading Bible studies. Okay, it's incredibly dangerous if you don't know a defense of your faith and they're leading you in a Bible study. Okay. Next, what, what is this? We already did that. Okay, so... 
so th they hit on a few points that I'm going to talk about. So they talk about slavery. And they're like, okay, yeah, we had to convince the church that slavery was bad. Okay? The first thing I want to say is, uh, when he, they say the church, okay, Christianity is a large umbrella. Okay? That means there are a lot of people under it. You've got Baptists under it. You've got Catholics under it. You've got Mormons under it saying that they're Christian. you got uh, all sorts, like Baptists don't drink, and then like Methodists, they're like handing out wine during communion. I mean, there's like all sorts of things that are different about Christians, okay? And so when he said we had to convince the church, he's using that as a very broad statement. There were people in the church who used the Bible to try to justify slavery, and that was wrong. Okay, that doesn't mean the whole church viewed it that way. Uh, here's one thing. Slavery does not equal slavery. The slavery we think about, the modern slavery, isn't the slavery of the Bible. Deuteronomy 15, it talks about uh, this. If your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year, you shall let him go free. Does that sound like the slavery you know? No. no. Yeah, it's indentured servant. So, like, if you can't pay your debts and you've got nothing left, you say, I will be sold to you. I will work for you. Okay, it goes on to say, uh, and when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your wine press. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. Does that sound like the slavery you know? No. Uh, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this day. But if he says to you, I will not go out from you, so he's choosing to stay. Does that sound like the slavery that you know? Okay. Uh, I will not go out from you because he loves you in your household since he is well off with you. Then you shall take an awl and put, this is weird, and you shall put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. That's kind of weird. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. He's like nailing their ear to the door if they decide to stay. I mean, they could leave, you know, it's just a symbolic thing. It's not like they stayed there. Okay. It shall not uh, seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker, he has served you six years. That means you're still paying him as a slave at half the cost you would pay a hired worker. And then they had this thing called the year of Jubilee every 49 years where all debts were forgiven and all slaves were freed. Okay, does that sound like the slavery that you know? No. So when the Bible talks about slavery and slaves obey your masters, this is what it's talking about. It's not talking about the slavery that was in America. So when he's saying like, well, we had to convince the church that slavery was wrong. It's a completely off-base argument. And then he says, oh yeah, and we had to tell him that interracial marriage was okay. This is the dumbest thing ever. Because Christianity is a large umbrella and there's nothing in the Bible about interracial marriage. Okay, so whatever. We're just going to move past that point because that's just dumb. All right. Next, oh, this is important. So the disciples heard what Jesus was preaching, and they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Okay? That's very important because this is what the culture is coming face to face with. The Bible, when, when he's like, oh, yeah, it's really, you run into problems when people think they have the source of truth. 
Well, we do think we have the source of truth. And if you look at the proof that we just went through, that Jesus astronomically is not accidentally claiming to be God, and you believe, like, listen, we've got to listen to what he's saying because the odds are that he is who he says he is. Then we have to pay attention to those hard sayings. We can't bend as Christians to whatever the culture wants us to do. Yeah. Yeah. You're so close. And then it says it in Romans 1 again. Well, yes. So they're saying that, okay, they're saying we don't believe in God. And they're saying, look, the Bible is, like Christians are saying, hey, homosexuality is wrong. LGBTQ is wrong. And eventually they're going to change their mind because the culture is going to leave them behind if they don't. That's what they're saying. And so what we're saying is we believe that God is God and he said these things and we can't compromise on these things. So I see where you're going, but 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 12, okay? This is like the thing I want you to get from what we're talking about here, okay? Paul said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Boom, okay? We know from that next chapter that he's talking about those things. And then he says, not at all meaning sexually immoral of this world or the greedy swindlers or adulterers, since then you would, have, you would need to go out of the world. So he's saying, when I tell you not to associate with these people, I don't mean non-Christian people. Because if you did, then you wouldn't be able to do anything. You'd have to stay in your house all the time because they're all evil. Like, right, like, this has not changed in 2,000 years, okay? And then he says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, meaning Christian, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an adulterer, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a person. That's savage, Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking ahead, like, getting these, like, hey guys, you want to go out to lunch? And they're like, no, you're a drunkard. We're not eating with you. <laughs> anyway, so for what I, ha- what have I to do with judging outsiders? Ooh, mm, I love this part. Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? Interesting. God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So here is like the thing we get wrong. We as Christians want to show the sinner the sin and expect the sinner to then go seek God. That's like 18 points on that page. There are a bunch of blanks. It's under wrong, okay? Wrong. We want to show the sinner the sin and expect the sinner to seek God. Are they not in there? Well, y'all feel free to write it. (laughs) Tonight has not gone my way. Started with the filter game. Okay, yeah, but put wrong beside it. Okay, that's the key point. This is wrong. 
Okay, if you go to an unchristian person, and, and Chloe, in this case, you're not a Christian. And I'm like, Chloe, you are wrong. You are a sinner, okay? That's a lot of times what we do. And in that clip, that's what they were talking about doing. He was like, I couldn't genuinely hug this gay guy because I was so busy judging him, and it felt wrong. It's because it was wrong, okay? <laughs> right? Uh and then that's what they're saying. Like they went to these parties and they were like, they, they felt judgmental and they felt like they were set apart because they weren't doing the things that other people were doing. Well, you know what that is? That's not Christianity. Okay, that's works-based salvation. If you feel good because you're not sinning like the other people are sinning, then you're relying on yourself to be righteous. Okay? You shouldn't be feeling better than other people because they're doing bad and you're not. You're just as guilty as everybody else, okay? So what are we to do? Okay, this is the right thing. We are to show the sinner God, and God shows the sinner the sin, okay? That's like kaboom. It's a completely different way of doing it. We're supposed to show the love of God like he had it wrong when he was judging the gay guy hugging him. You should love the gay guy. When he's like, love the sinner, hate the sin, huh, what a backhanded thing. No, it's not. We just don't need to hate the sin inside the person. Like, oh, Adam, I love you, but oh, I hate most of you. You know, like that's not it. You're supposed to genuinely love them as a person and show them God in your life and you let God take care of what he hates inside of them. That's it. Okay? But part two. Here's the right thing. We are to show the Christian the sin and tell them to go seek God. Okay? That's where we get it confused. And here's like the one thing, like, ooh, I feel so passionate about this, but I have to be very careful the way I word it, as if not like God hates things on different levels, because I'm not going to make that claim. But I think we as Christians are to care more about divorce inside the church than gay marriage outside the church. I think that's what this calls us to. When God says he hates divorce and he tells us to judge sin in other Christians, I think we are to care more about the sanctity of marriage inside the church that we're willingly destroying because it's convenient than to make a moral stand about gays getting married outside the church. And I'm not to say that you don't do one or the other. I'm saying we're to care more about our own house first. Wow, you had like 10 minutes. It's in your notes. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know what happened. Anyway, I have it here on my note sheet, so stay on board. All right, anyway. Is everybody done? Yeah. Okay, so how does God send good people to hell, right? How can a good God send people to hell? Okay, uh, this, these are like fantastic points. I don't think their full text is up there. All right, so uh, when people reject God, they're basically saying, I don't think you're the center of the universe. I'm the center of the universe, okay? So hell is filled with people who rejected God and for all of eternity want to be the center of the universe 
and keep doing their God-defying rebellion. When people are like, all my friends are going to be in hell, so I'm going there too. Okay, well, yes, you've just proven my point. You think you're the center of the universe, and yes, you will. Okay, but it's not going to be a party. So, here's the thing. This is huge. If God took his hands off of the world and let us do whatever we wanted, he removed the restraints on our own wickedness, what would we make? We would make hell. And so, hell is people condemning themselves to an eternity away from God where they think they're the center of the universe, and he leaves us to our own wickedness. Think about how people slide towards evil slowly, times eternity. That's hell. Okay? So when we say, how can a good God send people to hell? We send ourselves to hell and remove ourselves from his goodness. And that's what it is. So all of these arguments that people will come at with, I mean, they're just... They're so dumb. They sound like, wow, that's a really good question. But, you know, you just need to think about it. Okay? And this is why I'm saying it's important to know these things before you go into an NC State Bible study and Rhett and Link are teaching you their opinions on, you know, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> you know? So anyway, so the point is, the, the main point I want you guys to take away with is... When we're studying the case for Christ, we're not just building like a theological argument. We're building an intellectual argument as well. We're proving that like this is scientifically sound, that Jesus is God. And if he is God and he did those things, huge implications for the entire world. And so when he's like, it didn't feel right to hug a gay guy, so now I'm not a Christian. Wow, what a small hurdle to get over, right? None of y'all, I'm realizing, have the small group questions if you didn't have that page. (laughs) So I'm going to go make a copy of those, (laughs) and I will hand them to you in your small group locations. Okay, guys, go to your room. Girls, all together in the corner. Thank you.